0: Welcome to the Diocesan Digest, everybody! This week we are doing a feature episode on Hispanic Heritage Month. In the United States, Hispanic Heritage Month is celebrated from September 15th to October 15th. So, as a diocese, we will be doing some special spotlight content on our Hispanic and Latinx lay and clergy members. In this episode, I sit down with two of our diocesan leaders that are doing some really good work in the area of Hispanic ministry. Julia Ayala Harris is a Hispanic woman lay leader at St. John's in Norman. She's a member of executive council for the Episcopal Church. And Mother Marianne Hill is the president of the standing committee for the diocese. She's the rector of St. Dunstan's in Tulsa, and she has built a Hispanic community at St. Dunstan's that eventually grew into the new Hispanic mission in Tulsa called Espiritu Santo that is now led by Father Alberto Moreno. We had a really incredible and eye-opening conversation about why Hispanic ministry is important and how the Episcopal Church can foster spaces of belonging to actualize the Kingdom of God in our communities. Please welcome Julia and Marianne. Thank you all so much for being a part of the podcast this week, my friends. Um, We are just going to do a little highlight podcast on um, different types of Hispanic ministry in the church because it's Hispanic Heritage Month, and we wanted to honor that in a unique way here in the Diocese of Oklahoma. So we've got Julia. Julia, how do you say your your whole name? Because I don't want to mess it up. It's Ayella Harris. Julia Ayala Harris. Perfect. Wonderful. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you do ministry, and how you're involved in the church?
1: Yeah, I, um, uh, I never know where to start, so I'm just going to go linear and start from the top down. Uh, so I am... A laywoman in, uh, and I attend St. John's Episcopal Church in Norman. And I am on executive council for the Episcopal Church, which is um, like the board of directors for the denomination. And in that role, I am chair of mission within the Episcopal Church. Um, so our committee. Uh, looks at everything that goes on within the Episcopal Church across all the dioceses. So that includes dioceses that are in Province Nine, um, which include uh, places like Venezuela and Honduras and Haiti and others. Um, so it's not, uh, sometimes there's a confusion that mission within the Episcopal Church is just looking at our domestic diocese, but we're looking at everything within the Episcopal Church um and so uh, programmatically that includes evangelism racial reconciliation creation care and um and all that fun stuff
0: no that's great how long you been Mm -hmm. doing that i forget
1: i was elected in 2015 um and so uh we will uh those of us in that same class will stay on until the next general convention, whenever that may be, due to the pandemic. Um, so normally my term would end in twenty twenty one, but now it looks like it might be potentially twenty twenty
2: two. Okay, cool. Are there other dioceses, Julia, that have two? I mean, because we also have Bishop Ed is on executive council. Are there other dioceses that have that much representation? uh
1: No. At one point last triennium, we had three people. So we had. Uh, Bishop Ed, we had Susan Snook when she was a priest mm. and briefly mm. in the diocese, and then me as a lay person. So we had one.
2: We had one. Wow. Yeah, it was a lot of
1: fun. Oklahoma. Um, representing. <laughs> I don't, I think the only other diocese that has two people is actually Honduras. We have Bishop Lloyd Allen, and, um, uh, and we have a lay woman, uh, Myra who's also in Honduras, and she runs an orphanage there for the diocese. She Mm -hmm.
0: works for the diocese. Awesome. That's great. Well, how about you, Mother Marianne? Tell us about your
2: work. Where are you at? I know where you're at, but
0: (laughs) remind the people (laughs)
2: what you're doing over there. Yeah. Well, so I'm the rector. I've been the rector of St. Dunstan's in Tulsa for 12 years. Uh, I am also currently and have been... I guess for two years now, almost two years, the president of the standing committee. Um, and I, uh, we've been, I've got, I got involved with Latino ministry six years ago when we started having a Spanish service at St. Dunstan's that really grew kind of exponentially and then got involved a little bit with, um, uh, the office of Latino and Hispanic ministries for the Episcopal church, um, uh, and, um, got a grant from the Episcopal Church and am currently, um, I, like Julia, I was a presenter recently at a, at something called Nuevo Manacer, which is normally, it's a normally a three or four day event at Canuga every other year. It's sort of like the Episcopal Church event. I mean the Episcopal Youth event for Latinos, but because we can't meet in person, it's been um, sort of a monthly thing that they've done but I've also been involved more recently with something called new Camino, which, um, is also sponsored by the office of Latino and Hispanic ministries, which goes around to different dioceses and talks about starting Latino ministry. So, um, I was at, in the diocese of the Rio Grande for their, um, uh, clergy retreat back in February. I was there with, with Anthony Guillen and Al Rodriguez, and we, uh, did a, I did a presentation about starting a Latino ministry in a, uh, in a, anglo congregation so that's what i've been doing
0: awesome I, I love that you all both bring such cool perspectives and experiences mm-hmm. in the church life around this idea of hispanic ministry julia do you want to talk more about um maybe nuevo amanecer and what you try to do by uplifting leadership and hispanic leaders in the church
1: yeah Uh, So in the most recent, like what Marianne was just describing in our most recent meeting of Nuevo Aminacer, was there one last weekend actually? (laughs) So in the August meeting of Nuevo Aminacer that we did by Zoom, um, which included worship and workshops, um, I've been uh, pretty passionate about and uh, just constantly talking to people about who are emerging leaders in the church and how can we get them plugged in? And um, so in a really positive way, I've been harassing a lot of people about, you know, look around you, think about, we have these nominations coming up at general convention, but even down to your local church level, you know, who, especially young people, can you encouraged to um, run for a uh, delegate to your diocesan convention or vestry all the way to, um, you know, how can we encourage more people to be involved in running for uh, deputy or um, different roles that are available through elections through general conventions. So presiding bishop nominating committee is a really popular one. and. Um, even uh, trustees for church pension fund and that sort of thing. So Anthony Guian and I have been talking for years and about how to uplift uh, particularly uh, Spanish-speaking and, and folks that are, you know, Latino-Hispanic and or even English-speaking, like I'm English-dominant Latinos. And we've been doing a lot more one-offs and this was an opportunity where Anthony said could you come and present something to people and he specifically wanted me to detail um, like what it really means to run for vestry all the way up to what does it mean to run for executive council and how does one get involved in those uh, in different facets of leadership and um, it was a really dynamic discussion um, and a lot of fun, especially uh, trying to figure out, you know, like there were a lot of people from the Anglican Communion that also joined in. So th- I had people in my group that were from Mexico, which, you know, we have a covenant relationship with, but is not considered a part of the Episcopal Church. So how they could get involved and trying to remember my Anglican Communion governance on top of my Episcopal <laughs> Church governance. But Essentially, a lot of some of the things that came out were, you know, just a a clear explanation of our church structure, which sometimes we forget when we do formation of new Episcopalians and the uniqueness is how democratic we are in that. Uh, In addition to what real life experiences are like being a Latino or Hispanic in the room when you're doing this sort of thing, or if you're running for election for something, what that's like to, uh, we ended up having a really long conversation about how to discover and be your most authentic self when you're doing these things. Cause they had a lot of questions regarding, you know, what does a CV need to look like? Or what does my bio need to look like if I fill this out? And what are specific leadership things that I should work on if I would feel called to, you know, run to be delegate uh, to my diocesan convention. And one, and so I wanted to reiterate that because I was kind of surprised by it because my response is just to be yourself and to say what you're passionate about and to be authentic about if you're really jazzed about something to say, I'm really excited about this and I want to run for this. And here's, uh what i think i can bring to the table so that's kind of a summary of what yeah. our conversation at new wave of was like it was pretty great
0: awesome that sounds really great and to explain the structure of the church i mean that it's kind of that's our church is really intimidating with our structure i think people and doesn't seem as accessible so a way to like demystify that and make it more approachable i think is always really important thing to do (laughs) and actually i had to um
1: i had to download a new software to make a flow chart that made sense that was still clear on here the here's the structure of the Episcopal church from your local parish Mm -hmm. all the way up it was not something you can easily do in a word document with flow chart or graphics (laughs) no
0: (laughs) marianne do you want to talk about your presentation and the things you've been specifically
2: working on lately? I um, was uh, asked to present with a priest from the Diocese of Oregon named Christopher Crown, and uh, she's part of a church that's had Latino ministry for a long time. Um, It's really interesting because her Spanish wasn't very good when she got there, and it's increased tremendously, and she's raised up a lot of leaders who are Latino in, uh, in the Episcopal Church have gone on to other things, including the person who's in charge of that office right now. I um, uh, so And I was there to also talk about starting a ministry from scratch. And that wasn't really our intention when we started it. It sort of just took off on its own and um, got a life of itself. And I think um, when Anthony Guillen and Al Rodriguez asked me to talk about these things, it's it's sort of, okay, here's somebody, me, who had four semesters of Spanish decades ago and so doesn't didn't really speak Spanish um, and was able to to help get this started with uh you know and talking about the resources that that were helpful to us and finding people to to assist us and and all those sorts of things. So um they want people to hear that story because it's it's a success story. That ministry eventually became what is now the uh, uh, Espiritu Santo, the new Spanish mission in Tulsa uh, that Father Alberto Moreno is in charge of. And so um, uh, they want me to tell that story. They just tell me over and over, just tell that story, tell it over and over. And so I, um, I've i done it, this would I've done it three times. I did it twice that weekend that uh, Julie and I were both on um, Nuevo Manacer. And then I also did it the weekend that uh, when we were at uh, in Albuquerque f- with the Diocese of the Rio Grande. I'm going to be doing presentations in October and January for new Camino for other places as well. So, um, but it's, uh, it, it's because I'm an unlikely suspect for this kind of ministry and, um, and for it to be able to be successful. They, they want people to, to understand that they can do that too. You don't have to have, uh, you don't have to be a fluent Spanish speaker necessarily. You don't have to have, um, you know, all these, a bunch of special resources, you just have to have the right mindset to be able to do it, and, and so that's what I've been going around talking to people about, and it's ironic because we don't actually have a Spanish ministry at St. Dunstan's at the moment, so my Spanish is pretty rusty. I haven't been using it lately, but, um, but I'm still happy to talk about recent history.
0: Yeah, it's such an important history to, to, um, learn from and share because you're right. You were an unlikely suspect. I love that. Mm -hmm. Why do you all think it's important to do Hispanic ministry and to lift up Hispanic folks in our churches?
2: Well, I think that we need, you know, if you look at, at trends in population, um, one of the things that really struck me when we were thinking about, uh, starting this, this service that we had, um, We'd had a speaker who came and told us that by twenty twenty five half of the children in Tulsa public schools would be from uh primarily spanish speaking families so this was I heard this presentation this was in maybe twenty sixteen so she she told us twenty twenty five we'd be fifty percent we were fifty percent by twenty eighteen we were fifty percent two years ago so um uh it's the the population um trends that are changing. And also, um, and and Julia can speak to this probably better than I can, but we are, we are in a way uniquely placed because uh, we're both Catholic and Protestant, to be able to help people um, access the church through their culture and through traditions that we can bring into the church, even if people are primarily English speaking, they're still um, in, in Latino culture, there's still a very strong uh, tie to heritage because of family, family so important. And it's, it's the sort of thing that as a church, we can, we have the ability to do that as the Episcopal church. And so there's this, this big mission field out there. And when I, when I talk about mission fields, it's not we want to find people that, you know, help keep the Episcopal Church alive. It's more like we want to find people who are not tied into a church community, find a place where they can belong and feel part of God's family and, and feel the love of Jesus um, for their sake, as well as for ours. And so we, we have an opportunity to do that. And um, it'd be silly for us not to not to not to try to I don't want to say to take advantage, but to, to avail ourselves of ministry opportunities that God's putting on our, you know, our plate for us, so.
0: Right, right, those are such great insights. Thank you so much, Marianne, you just, like,
2: <laughs> laid it all out there perfectly, <laughs> <Yes>.
1: <laughs> but it's true, yeah. I mean, so, um, like, so much of that is just right dead on, and when, you know, oh my gosh, where to even start, Um, I'm going to start with the demographic piece. I, we, um, this was years ago, which now feels even further away because of the pandemic and thinking Mm. about, you know, having an evening over at my local church in Norman, uh, chit chatting about, you know, local politics and the state of the world and kind of like an adult forum. And so we're out there on the patio. This is way too much information, but I'm kind of missing. (laughs) Oh, I remember those days. I wonder if we could do it again. So, you know, so we're doing an adult forum outside, beautiful night, and we're chit-chatting about all kinds of stuff. And this must have been 2016, and it was before the election. And we're having conversation about some of these demographic changes, and there was some concern about some of the rising anti-Hispanic, anti-Latino sentiment that was sweeping around the country at that time. Because of uh, some things that had made the news, and it was a really interesting conversation. You know, speaking with people that you know I go to church with that I love and adore. You know, that we uh, share communion together, and being on all kinds of this, like all sides of the spectrum and corners of a spectrum about how comfortable we deal with you know an, a sharply increasing Hispanic Latino population in the United States. And I had no intention of saying this, but it was pretty funny, too, because one of uh, you know, a good friend of mine said, oh, are you, you know, so we're talking about the trends. And, you know, I, we look at like some websites that say, here's what it looks like it's going to be, like the country might be majority Hispanic by 2054 or something like that. And so my friend said, so are you telling me that my children will be friends with Hispanics? And I said, I'm telling you that your children will marry Hispanics and have Hispanic children.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, <throwing> away, right? <laughs> like, get ready, because the future yeah. is coming, right? And I think that that's a part of this rub that we see in the broader culture of our country. and that, And back in 2016, know some of that stuff became really apparent which in some ways you know is very divisive but also can be a gift right for conversation for understanding where we're going as a country and for having these types of conversations um so you know keeping that in mind or like trying to meet people where they're at and thinking about some of these demographic changes that can get really personal like that right it's one thing to look at it, another thing to see, oh my gosh, Tulsa Public Schools is going to be 50% Spanish speaking by way before you even know it. So there's that piece of it mixed in with um, like very almost stereotypically, I grew up Catholic and um, I spent a couple of years as evangelical before uh, landing and staying in the Episcopal Church because like so many, I was uncomfortable with a lot of what the catholic church was teaching and 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 for a lot of people and this is you know some people can can say okay i can learn this in sunday school but my local priest says you know it's okay to love my brother who's gay and we're just going to turn a blind eye and allow my brother to get confirmed even though he's gay but for me and for so many others that's not okay so that dichotomy like, that sort of you know trying to look the other way to what the church is teaching I, was not something that i was comfortable with and so you know when i in addition to that the episcopal church and the first time i walked in and saw I, I didn't know much about the episcopal church i knew episcopalians who seemed really great and so that's why i walked into the church because i was like if they're all really fabulous then the whole church must be filled with people who are fabulous right and, and that was my first experience of seeing and experiencing a woman priest or a woman pastor at all. And it hadn't even occurred to me that women could be in leadership roles like that in a church anywhere. It never dawned on 20-year-old me. That that was even possible, and um, and so here I had just walked into a church, and when she put the wafer in my hand, I just sobbed uncontrollably because I couldn't believe this was real and this was happening, you know, and like she was this angelic figure almost. So sometimes when we think about those types of aspects too of representation in the church and how representational leadership can really form and impact people, I think that so many. Um, in particular, you know, first and second generation Latino and Hispanics are saying to themselves that they too are also not feeling comfortable with many coming from Catholic backgrounds, right, are not comfortable with the dogma of the Catholic Church, and it's not lining up with their lived experiences, whereas the Episcopal Church will, you know, welcome women in all forms of leadership roles, whether lay or ordained, like Marianne's here as a priest and I'm here as a lay person. And the same for LGBTQIA and to even take a more forceful stance on saying that LGBTQIA folks are not just, you know, a part of our community, but that they're allowed to be a part of every sacrament that our church has without question. And that if they have children, they are to be baptized, like all children should be. So it really breaks down a lot of those emerging cultural barriers between generations for uh for well i should say first second and third uh, generation hispanics and then there is this other interesting piece of um because and Marion can probably speak a lot more to this uh if this is direction you want to go in but that there is a large uh again hispanic evangelical right, that they left the Catholic Church, the evangelicals have been pushing really hard, particularly in Mexico, to grow their numbers there, and uh, they're having a similar kind of experience where they're missing liturgy, Um, you know, they're missing some of that stuff that their parents, that their grandparents brought them up on, uh, you know, praying the rosary, and coming back to the Episcopal Church where, you know, an Our Lady of Guadalupe can, you know, be a part of their You know, experience in addition to, um, you know, having a little bit more leeway in uh, on the end of dogma. That's kind of a boring way to end that, but
0: (laughs) yeah, for sure, for sure. Anything else to add to that, Maria?
2: Yeah, I um, I think that's right. I I, there there's been a big uh, a big push with the evangelicals and in Central America too, and. Well, in South America. And I think um, it's interesting because here we, I know people who there, there's some mega churches that they would go to, but then they would be asked to do things like bring their paychecks in so they could see, the, the church could see what they made. And yeah, I know, I know. And, and which felt really invasive. And not only, I have to imagine, felt like, like uh, the is trying to take advantage of people, you know, and, and so um I don't know that it's necessarily good fit culturally. Um, but, um, the other thing too is, and you, you, Sarah, probably and, um, both of you, Julia and Sarah can speak to this more, but I think that younger generations of folks are not seeing the kinds of barriers between different types of people that, that my generation and, and older have. So, um, I think young people expect us to be a lot more inclusive as a church and not just expect it, but but demand that we do that. And so um, I'm hoping that a lot of the barriers that we've had in the past, just because we, we don't, we're not comfortable getting out of our bubble, whether it's a straight bubble or a white bubble or a whatever, um, I, I'm hoping those are going to go away as younger generations push us to be more inclusive of a wide diversity of folks. Um, I think that's the way the trend that I see, at least in, in the United States. And I, I hope that's where we really are going. So,
0: yeah. And just in my own ministry and pursuit of the priesthood, you know, and growing up in Oklahoma, where I started learning Spanish uh, probably in kindergarten and studied all the way through my time at Notre Dame in college, lived with a Spanish speaker. But no, I I feel really convicted of working on my Spanish and getting better at it. You know, I'm in the trauma ICU, you know, now at OU, and we get a lot of Spanish-speaking folks that come in and need care, their families need care, and not, not not every time can they speak Spanish. And we have chaplains on staff who are Spanish speakers and certainly nurses and doctors who can a little bit too. But as a minister, you know, when i know i'm going to be living in areas and ministering to people that speak spanish like that's just a connection point to me it just makes good ministry sense to you know get out of my oh english is the only thing and learn a language that a ton of people in our country speak you know i think and everyone knows this about the united states like we're like the one country who doesn't, we don't know any other language, but Uh if you talk to people from other countries, they speak like four or five different languages, you know, that's our church though. Like if we're really going to welcome all people, like, and be, you know, actually say people are brothers and sisters, we have to learn about them and find an, a point of, of unity and engagement. And I think just at least trying to, to speak the language. And again, like I've been taught Spanish my entire life, like, Now it's time to really use it and build relationships and build up the church and really like act like my Hispanic brothers and sisters are actually my brothers and sisters. And I can't dominate what that looks like. I have to meet folks where they're at and be, you know, in their culture, speaking literally their language, right?
2: You know, St. Dunstan's is a really, it's a really interesting place and I know, I don't know if folks who, who've been in the diocese a long time um, will be listening, but uh, Father Daniel's uh, vision for the church was that it would be super inclusive, and that was a long time ago. We're talking 30, 40 years ago when uh, that wasn't really something people were talking about that much, but um, so it's been the kind of place that's always welcomed people who were who were maybe a little different than than most of the folks that went to the church. And they told me back, uh, when we did a, we did a, like a congregational study for our 50th anniversary in 2013, they wanted to be multicultural. And I I thought, multicultural, we're in South Tulsa. I can be multicultural in South Tulsa. Uh, and then I started looking around. It's like, God took the scales off my eyes and I looked around and I'm like, okay, well, there are actually a lot of people around us that, um, that are from a different culture. But, um, we don't have a lot of people at St. Dunstan's that naturally spoke Spanish and that, but they really really wanted to be involved with the Latinos and then they would be embarrassed because they didn't speak Spanish and I finally just said look smile just smile that's a you know, of course right now we're all wearing masks so nobody can see a smile maybe they can imagine you are if your eyes are all scrunched up but uh, but I, yeah I said you know you don't you don't speak the language smile because if you smile and the person you're with speaks English, they'll be much more likely to try speaking English than if if you, if you're not, if you don't look welcoming. Uh, and my own experience was there was a lady who um, had been coming to church for a year, and she was sitting by herself at coffee hour, so I went and sat down with Margarita, and I started trying to speak Spanish with her, and she finally reached over and patted my arm and said, I speak English. And I knew her for a year and didn't know she, but, but what I've, I asked, I asked one of the, somebody I knew a little bit better. I said, why don't people let me know they speak English? And they said, we're afraid of making mistakes and that we'll get in trouble if we make mistakes. So that's when I really started. I, I just decided, okay, I'm not going to be embarrassed about how bad my Spanish is. I'm just going to try all the time and make an absolute fool of myself because then people will feel comfortable trying to speak English to me. And it worked; it really did. So, um, we just have to be open and try. And I, I know that sometimes people feel like they're going to lose their own culture or our white culture. I think we forget that as an immigrant country, um, I mean, a country of a, lo- of a lot of immigrants. There have been times when other immigrant immigr- immigrant groups opposed to each other. So, jo- Julie was talking about. How um, you know telling people your your kids are going to marry Latinos and you know there was a time when marrying into an Irish family was a big deal, but it you know it wouldn't even think about that now. So we just have to keep reminding ourselves that this is a a cultural situation that keeps evolving and changing, and that's not a bad thing. That is what the kingdom of God looks like to include all these people. So um, that's what God wants us to do and I think we just need to let go of our fears, and, you know, we can still have, we can still have a tea party if we want to have a nice kind of English tea party, and the rector can own a corgi like I do, but that, you know, we still have to try to embrace the cultures that are around us, so. And I think if I can piggyback on that,
1: and to go with your question that you had asked me earlier, Sarah, how has my ethnicity shaped my ministry? I'm going to, I already have a word salad in my head. So I apologize in advance. Um, Like, I kind of like want to outline it really quick before I say it all. But I think, Marianne, to me, it's so pronounced why you had a successful ministry, especially among Hispanics and Latinos, because you, even just how you were talking about those stories, are showing this openness and that you want people to feel a sense of belonging. And it's interesting because at Nuevo hanna your the title of your ministry had the word belonging in it. And my PowerPoint that I pulled up, like, has a specific point about let's talk about belonging. And because that's something that, you know, when we feel like we belong or we we know we belong somewhere when we feel it, like we know when Hmm. we feel it and we know when we don't feel it. And that is so tied to like, um, for me, you know, it's deeply ingrained in like my family, I belong like with my weirdo, like my similarly strange family, you know, like we all get each other, right. And that's a place where I feel belonging and in the Episcopal Church is a place where I feel belonging. And in so many ways, having leaders like Mary Ann who can say, it's okay, let's practice, let's smile, even if you can't speak Spanish, is that welcoming is more than a welcoming. It's honoring, you know, the divine and the other person and saying this place is also for you. And oh my gosh, I just hope so many other people hear what Mary Ann just had to say, because because it's not as common as we would like it to be. And, and especially in the Episcopal church. So this is where, if I can bring some rea- some realness in, if that's okay, Sarah.
0: <laughs> bring it, sister, <laughs> be, bring it. <laughs>
1: I can be gentle. So, <laughs> but, you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> because there's, you know, cause we all do come with so much, uh, in, into every scenario, right? So not every Sunday can a priest be super welcoming to everyone all the time or, and it's not always up to the priest, right? But to other leaders within that congregation to welcome newcomers and and to get over some of, get over is too strong, but to move through some of the fears of, you know, not just oh i don't speak spanish what do i do i want to be helpful okay i can smile but also these other fears like we're talking about about a culture shift and how scary that can feel for so many people in addition to like a lot of times we're just oblivious right so we have no idea you know that someone new is at church or that that person who's new is from a different culture or that maybe they're having a hard time following along because they speak a different language so in addition to sort of those every day every sunday type of situations at least pre-pandemic you know the Episcopal church has long sort of in some ways overtly prided itself on being the church for the lawyer and the doctor and you know the congressperson and that sort of thing so we've we're still getting over what it means to no longer have that institutional and cultural power that we used to have. And, and we're developing language now because of people like Mary Ann about how we can be a place where everyone can truly belong, regardless of not just you know, language barriers, but other socioeconomic barriers that might keep people from feeling comfortable coming into our churches so with all of that in mind going back to your question that you had asked me how my ethnicity shapes my ministry to me it's one of these things and I'm glad that it's you two on this podcast because I think you'll understand it's that intersectionality between being a woman and being Hispanic and I just Turn 40, which I'm so excited about. So now I'm like going into like middle-aged woman, you know, I'm not a young woman anymore, which I just can't tell you how excited I am about this. Like I'm so opposite (laughs) other people. And, but, you know, so so going to these rooms where I've been a, you know, short, clearly Hispanic, uh, young looking woman at times has been very, very difficult and in the Episcopal church, at an Episcopal conference, at an Episcopal meeting. And there have been, you know, times where I've been uh, believed to be part of the help. um, So that that tends to happen a lot, or, or told that, you know, because I'm part of the help that I belong someplace else than where I am, or that I'm clearly at the wrong meeting, right? So just like an initial glance says, oh, you're not, you're not one of us, you don't belong here. And so um, in it, So part of how I take that on in my ministry is in addition to um, highlighting, you know, how we can uh, talk about and meet the needs of new Americans when we look at Episcopal Migration Ministries or when we visit HOTO Detention Center at the last general convention or when we have conversations about uh, mothers crossing the border being ripped from their children and how our church can respond to those things, it is also hand in hand with that, me trying to assert space at the table for people who are like me. So for at the moment on executive council, um, the way that we're comprised, we have Uh, representation from province nine because we have representation through the provinces on council but I am the only domestic Hispanic Latino on executive council and 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 again so that's I think also why Anthony Guillen and I agreed to do Nueva Ramana to encourage more people to consider that level of leadership but it also means that you know I just really take it seriously and intentionally that I'm not, that when I take up space at the table or, in the, uh, or at a microphone or um, in a programmatic area, that it's not just about me exerting my leadership, but it's about me helping the system to learn how to listen to voices that look and sound like mine or different than mine because they might have accents or they might speak Spanish. Right. And so trying to sort of help pave that path going forward is really important to me
0: yes so freaking important (laughs) yes um is there anything else you guys want to add this was awesome this is exactly what i was hoping it would be just getting to hear from y'all's experiences and the ways in which ministry
2: i would um maybe want to add that we need to find ways i think to encourage The churches in our diocese, to um, not necessarily Espiritu Santo or um, Santa Maria, but to um, uh, you know even our Anglo congregations, to be open to Latino culture and to reaching out to people. One of the success stories with St Dunstan's is that in the few short years that we had the Spanish ministry, we sent somebody to seminary. Omar Cisneros who's who's completely bilingual, who is at Virginia Seminary now. And it's not just about him being Latino. He's also I mean he's doing his field education at St. Paul's K Street, which is one of the premier Anglo-Catholic, uh, very white Anglo-Catholic uh congregations in the country. And um so it's not to typecast somebody but like Omar, but he has an incredible gift in being completely bilingual and bicultural where he can really go back and forth between cultures and you have a lot to learn I have I have conversations with him all the time where I I'm constantly learning things by talking to Omar he's super smart really interesting guy and um, not only do we have Omar we have another young person who uh, I don't want to name because he's not been in the process yet but he's um, uh, also grew up completely bilingual, and a, and a family um, in Texas where he attended Episcopal schools. He's a commercial airline pilot, and he's hoping at some point to be able to go through the bivocational priesthood program, and so it's it's just there. there's so much out there that we could be tapping into um, beyond anything we can imagine, and uh, we need our congregations to be able to be open to that. And it it's, might seem scary at times, but it really isn't. I mean, this, the cultural, the cultural differences aren't nearly as huge as we might imagine they would be. So um, I just encourage people to try to, to think outside the box a little bit about, about who they're reaching out to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I went to the the first day of Espiritu Santo's um, kind of grand opening of the church last year and they had this giant feast afterwards like homemade tacos beans and rice and i was like i can get down with this community (laughs) this is like if this is what it is we just sit and like eat delicious food and like talk for hours and a big sheet cake with tons of frosting yeah like (laughs) i think i can get like i think i can cross over cultures you know? And Our Lady of Guadalupe is super cool. Like who doesn't want to like a tattoo of her? She's awesome. Maybe that's just me and I appreciate these things, but <laughs> yeah, I um I'm excited, especially for you know, small ways like Hispanic Heritage Month, bring awareness to to this so we can highlight what our brothers and sisters uh, that are Latino, what they're what they're up to and how they're contributing to our churches already like you, Julia, and how, you know, Marianne, we can foster this as clergy and just by building relationships and a sense of belonging. And it's already the work of the church. But let's think outside of our white culture for two seconds and see who's around. Because if you look like you both were saying about our demographics, like there's brown people, people of color everywhere. And why not why, why wouldn't they want to be a part of the Episcopal Church if we say we're all the things that we are, right? Yeah.
1: We have so much to offer and so much to
0: be proud of. Yeah. Well, thank you all so much. This was awesome. Thanks for joining us y'all be sure to sign up for the diocesan newsletter at our website epiok.org slash newsletter and follow us on all of our social media platforms to stay up to date on what's going on in the Episcopal Diocese of Oklahoma see y'all next week and peace be with you